Good morning again. You like to follow along with the scripture reading today? We're reading out of First Peter, chapter one. And you remember that I shared this scripture two weeks ago? Yes, you were correct. First Peter, chapter one. We're going to be picking up at verse thirteen. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you in the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But, as he who called you is holy, so also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you should be holy, for I am holy. Lord, we pray that you would help us now as we look into your word. Pray your presence would be with each one of us. Pray for the many that cannot be here for various reasons. I pray you bless them where they are. We just ask now that your presence would be here. And you would receive the honor of the Lord. In Jesus' worthy name we pray. And everyone said, Amen. Theme of Roxbury Camp this year is my holiness. And yesterday afternoon it was very interesting. We had three of the directors uh, seated at a table on the platform. We had an open forum discussion, and anyone in the whole auditorium could raise questions, thoughts, or scripture on the theme of why holiness. That was a very enlightening. I really enjoyed that. So first of all, I think that we need to define the word holiness, and there's certainly a lot of definitions out there. Simply put, I believe that it means to be separate from what is unclean and consecrated or set apart to what is pure. And so we ask ourselves that question, why holiness? I believe as we look at the scripture and study the word, that we see that uh, it's really not an option for the Christian that God commands us to follow him in holy living. Um, as Peter here says, as all believers should be holy. So holiness should characterize not only who we are, but what we do, our actions, our lifestyles. We see similar instruction there in the book of Hebrews, chapter 14, or 12, verse 14. Follow or pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. I don't know if you call it or not, I'm using the English uh, standard version, and uh, I guess Pete's the one I got me on that one. Uh, he likes that version, and I've been, I've been using it in my studies, and I'm really, really learning to enjoy it. And so that verse actually says it this way, there in Hebrews 12, 14, strive for peace with everyone, and for the holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. These verses uh, leave us to know that holiness is an, an absolute requirement for every believer. This portion of scripture here in 1 Peter, actually he is quoting from Leviticus 11, 44 and 45. That there God began by calling, urging, insisting 
that a person consecrate themselves to God. There's something that we must do. You know, God certainly provided through Christ salvation on the cross. But he doesn't do it all. We have to do our part in saying, yes, I'm going to choose to live a life, a high calling in Christ Jesus. Presenting ourselves before him, making that personal consecration voluntarily. It reminds me of a very familiar verse of scripture in Romans 12, verse 1. Where Paul says, I appeal to you, therefore, brethren, and I have to say brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service. Going back again to the Old Testament, in Exodus 3, the first six verses, God began by teaching his people the meaning of holiness, when he revealed himself to Moses there in the burning bush experience, there in the desert. God said to Moses, don't come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for you, the place you're standing, is holy ground. I think that statement is very important to our understanding of what the meaning of holiness is. There's several things we can learn there. First, to be holy, one must have the presence of God. He's the source of holiness. Exodus 15, 11, we read, Who is like you, O God, or O Lord among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? Everything that God is and does is holy. It's often described in the scriptures as the Holy One, the Holy One of Israel. We can't compare his holiness because he's so unique. Like what 1 Samuel 2, 2 says, There is none holy as the Lord, for there is none beside you. There is no rock like our God. He's so unique. And then the prophet Isaiah in 40, 25, he uses that term. He says, To whom then will you compare me that I should be like him, says the Holy One. Friends, God alone is holy. He's infinite. He's unchanging. He's eternally holy. So then can we say that nothing is holy is holy unless it meets the source of holiness, the holy God. This explains why Moses, when he was having his experience there in the burning bush, and God said, this is now holy ground on which you stand. God turned the common an ordinary ground in the holy ground. And I think the same is true of us. For a person to be holy, he must, he or she must have the abiding presence of a source of holiness, God Himself. And we know that that relationship begins on the day that we're saved. It's the Holy Spirit that draws us to Jesus Christ. So when a sinner repents of his sins, places those sins and their faith in the finished work of Christ that was provided for us there on the cross and taking away the sins of the world there is, and then is when Jesus enters into their heart as Savior. So the presence of the Holy God in one's heart begins then the process or process is a, the ones who Canada would say begins the process of making us 
Christians holy. And that's why the Apostle Paul often addresses in his letters to the saints or, or the holy ones. Secondly, to be holy, one must be separated to God as his possession. Holiness is dependent on a continuing relationship with God. For example, God claimed Israel as a nation, as his personal possession, his right of redemption when he brought them out of Egypt's bondage. Being claimed by God made them separate from all the other people that were alive at that time on the earth. There in Deuteronomy 7, verse 6, he told them, For you are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all peoples who are on the face of the earth. And so this aspect of holiness is sometimes referred to as positional holiness. They were holy because God, the Lord, possessed them. And therefore, he was separating them from the common and ordinary. Again, just like the ground under the burning bush. Places and things have positional holiness. But I don't believe God will allow his people to be only positionally holy. He requires them to be personally and ethically holy. Cleansing them from sinful associations, behavior. You know, we must live in obedience to what he commands us to do. This is the truth in Paul's teaching there when he says to the Corinthian believers, in 1 Corinthians 6, Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You're not your own, you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. So then I think we can say that the very moment of the new birth, you are becoming made holy, entering into a personal relationship with God and becoming his possession. No longer your own. No longer your own. We're to glorify him in all that we do by doing our best to follow his instructions. And so I think very simply, friends, holiness is to characterize our lives every moment of every day. Thirdly, to be holy, one must be separated from the common and ordinary. Now here we learn the important concept that God may require you to be separate from things that are not necessarily sinful. Oh, Pastor, what are you saying? I believe there's some areas in our personal walk with the Lord that He wants to strengthen us uh, as we walk with Him. Talking about the holy versus the common, the clean versus the unclean. You see, God gave food laws there in the Old Testament to teach his people how to discern between the clean and the unclean, the holy and the unholy, not merely teaching them healthy principles as some would have you believe. Study it for yourself there in Deuteronomy 14 and also Leviticus 11. Because later on when Jesus was asked about the proper observance of the food laws, he replied that the primary purpose of those laws was to teach a person how to discern right from wrong. Because he knew that a person is not defiled by what you take in your mouth or what you may eat, but it's those improper thoughts or attitudes and actions that 
spring out of the heart. In fact, in Mark chapter 7, verses 18 to 23, he declared that all foods are clean. And he repeats and, and he lists there those things that defile a person, making them unclean. It wasn't food, but it was those wicked things that come out of the heart. And that list includes evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. Actually, one of the major charges that God made against the priesthood there in Israel's day was that as Israel began to backslide, it was because they were not being taught the difference between holy and common or clean and unclean. They began to disregard the Sabbaths so that God's name was profaned among them. Their religion had become so adulterated that they were mixing child sacrifice with the worship of the Lord. I shudder to even say those things. How could that have ever happened? Well, it didn't happen overnight. But as slowly as they moved from the teachings to the truth of God's word, they began to worship like all the nations around about them. I challenge you, the, these, or, or there may be things that God is asking of you and I that may not be inherently evil or wicked, but it may be something even that others can do. I don't know if you remember, some years ago there was a track entitled Others May, You Cannot. Have any ever run across that track? Yeah, not. We had it. I remember Roxbury, they were handing them out. And that's simply saying that, that you can't judge your brother or sister if they're maybe doing something that you and yourself feel you cannot. Because God may be requiring something of you that you have that closer walk with him that he's not requiring of your friend or neighbor. We need to guard against areas that would be a downfall for us but not for them. Otherwise, we can easily find ourselves like the people did during the period of the judges where people simply did everything that was right in their own eyes. Sure, this lack of sensitivity to God's call is to be holy and the ability to respond to his gentle voice as it's separate, to be separate from anything that hinders your walk with Oh, I encourage you, let's press on to entire sanctification. For one is able then to discern uh, and to be sensitive to God's will and what he desires for you. Because entire sanctification enables the believer to discern, I believe, more clearly what is good and what is evil in God's eyes. I haven't met this man, I'd like to. His name is Dr. Timothy Tennant. He is the current president of the Asbury Theological Seminary. He wrote a book entitled The Call to Holiness, Pursuing the Heart of God for the Love of the World. I'd like to share just a few excerpts from his book. He says, entire sanctification means your whole body, life and spirit have been reoriented. In other words, your heart has been reoriented toward the joyful fellowship of the triune God. We're no longer looking back 
longing for the, that old life, but always looking forward to that new creation he's making of us. There is the process of moving ahead. And he makes a statement now that I think that the upset or shocks some people. He said, sanctified people still sin. Now why is that? Because we have an enemy, Satan, who is bringing temptation to all of us. But here's the difference. It is that in the life of the sanctified person, sin becomes your permanent enemy and no longer your secret lover. That's something to think about. You know, there's no state of grace that cannot be improved upon. I believe as we go through life, we are walking with the Lord, we're reading His Word, we're seeking His face. He wants to improve us in our, our spiritual setting. When asked how you're doing, here's a good reply. I'm improving. Try it. I like that. When Wesley calls us to be made perfect in love, he's not envisioning us to be without sin. Now listen carefully. Never did John Wesley use the term sinless perfection. I must admit, in my lifetime, I've heard some of that preached. The standard was made so high that you could never attain. That is incorrect. That word sinless, those words sinless perfection should not be used. Rather, I believe what he meant was that we would be reoriented toward God's love, which is found in full perfection, meaning that we have fully surrendered to the power of God's grace in our lives. We never stop growing in God's grace. It's a lifetime process. I believe this is what the Hebrew writer is talking about there in Hebrews 6, verse 1. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God. Back to our opening verses that we read there in 1 Peter, verses 14 and 15. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, so also be holy in all your conduct. Peter is telling the believers that God's command to be holy requires that we certainly would be obedient, but also that we stop living like we did before we were saved. We're a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things become new. Yes, God is loving. He's merciful. Holiness requires separation from all that is unclean or morally defiled. I don't think there's any exceptions. As we must be morally pure in every area of life. Friends, you know what I mean when I make this statement, that the internet brings temptations into our homes and lives like never before. Oh, how we need the blessed Holy Spirit to be our moral compass in these days. Some may say, oh, well, that isn't really that bad, creature. And they play with temptation, and they play around with sin until they're allowing things in their lives that do not bring honor to God. And we are downfall to themselves and maybe to others. And so the question of why holiness, 
I believe you're getting the picture of how important it is to our spiritual journey. As one studies the Bible, they'll see that holiness is exceedingly practical. And I know holiness preaching can go to extremes, and I don't want that. I want to preach a, a practical holiness. For example, demonstrated by respectful treatment of others, sexual purity, avoiding anything associated with the occult, compassion on the poor, honesty, kindness, justice, refusal to be a gossip, no matter how intriguing that latest news might be, and not holding a grudge against others. That is what I'm talking about, practical holiness, lived out among us. Just a few examples there. Okay. Holiness can be demonstrated. Oh, may we show forth a, a perfect or an agape love for Jesus and for others in our daily walk. I ran across this excellent uh, example, perfect love. It's a story that is told by Dr. Robert Coleman, who taught at Asbury Seminary for 27 years. Has any of you ever heard him preach? Okay. I think, Jesse, he was at Roxbury a number of years ago, but I also had heard him in another seminar situation. But here's a story that he says. One day he was out in his garden working. The work was hard, the sun was hot, and he was sweating away. And his little boy was in the house and happened to look out the window and saw his daddy out there. He thought, daddy looks awful hot. He would like a glass of water. So that little lad pulls a chair and crawls up to the sink and picks up the first glass he saw, a dirty glass, and put lukewarm water in it, and went out to the garden. Here, Daddy, here's some water to cool you down. Dr. Coleman, in his own words, said this, The glass may have been dirty and the water warm, but it was brought to me in perfect love. That's the essence of sanctification. We each are endowed with a self-forgetful heart, a heart that has been reoriented toward love. We began our message with the statement, holiness is not an option for the Christian. I still stand by that statement. Holiness is for us today as much as it was for the past and for the future into eternity. 1 Thessalonians 5.23 says, And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly, in other words, entirely. And I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body be reserved blameless under the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. As human beings, we all have been created in God's image to live in his hope, in holy fellowship with him. Much of that fellowship was lost when sin came into the world. But I believe the experience of heart holiness is offering to us restoration, others putting us back on track, as it were, of fulfilling God's original plan. So because of this genuine, wholehearted love is for God, it's for our neighbor. Oh, but you say, Pat, you don't know my neighbor. That's all the more reason why you need that love. And for the rest of his creation, it makes it possible that we can love again. By the way, 
the other week I was up at our old house doing some work, and guess who came over to see me? My neighbor. The one that cut my tree down. <laughs> Inside of that, do I say anything? Nope. I'm not going to let a tree ruin our relationship. We had a wonderful time discussing together a lot of different things. And so he's hoping someday I'll be his neighbor again. The Lord really knows that. But sanctification is the door that leads us into glorious, full, and perfect fellowship with God. So I encourage you today, friends, to, if you haven't done so, take this sweet of God's sanctifying grace. If you're not sure where you stand before the Lord and you have a lot of struggles, ask yourself these questions. Does my heart rise up against the will of God? Does my heart rise up against my fellow man? Do I have affections that are prone to self and not to Christ? I think that song, Is my all of the altar sacrifice made? My heart is the spirit control. Is your heart full of love toward God and yes, your neighbor? Can you testify that his spirit assures you of this wonderful grace? Is the world crucified to you and you to the world? Is God your all in all? Now, some of those are close questions, aren't they? They, they come close to me as well. But if we can answer resounding yes to these questions, then, my friend, God is going and has done the work in your heart. Thank Him for His cleansing power. Move forward in the might of His Spirit from glory to glory. But if you doubt this inward work of cleansing or feel a desire uh, of self and pride against the will of God, then you need to cry out to him for his help. Plead with him for his grace. Reach out in faith today and say, a ready yes to whatever he asks of you. If you ask, Lord, grant me this sanctified heart, know for certain that his spirit to his sanctifying grace. Yes, I believe that he will allow testings to come, situations or issues that will arise to help conform us more to the image of his son. And so I say, Lord, if it has to be, take me through that fiery place. May that fire of your love burn out anything that is in my heart that might defeat me. And all help us to maintain a continual devotion to God and His Word. During those times, we patiently wait on Him. Maybe through that fiery trial that will purify our faith. All take courage. And remember the words of the Apostle James. In James 1, 4, he says, Let endurance or steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Remember, Jesus said in John 10, 10, I've come to give you life that you might have it more abundantly. So are we enjoying that this morning? That's a question that only you can answer. If not, seek him for his, his will and be obedient and following him in all things. We look now for a closing song.